Baby Dharma Mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 17, Getting Your Kids to Listen. This is probably the number one question that I get on email is, Kelly, no one's listening to me. I can't stop yelling. So I yell and I feel so much guilt that I sleep with mommy guilt, promising myself not to do it the next day, only to get up and do it all over again. And a lot of you are feeling like you're on Groundhog's Day, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And I only know how this feels because I was once on that same crazy cycle, I call it. And I felt like a crazy person. And I was so convinced that Lily and Grady needed to change. And once they changed, then I would stop yelling or stop snapping or stop barking or stop being so huffy. I was a very huffy Hutchison. And so this work is very challenging and it's not quick fix. But I know that you know yelling and screaming is not working because you feel guilty. And people always say, well, it's very hard. And I always say, but what's harder? Harder is sleeping with mommy guilt. And they tell me detaching is hard. And I say, yeah, but you know what's harder? Is having disconnection with your kids and, not, and them not listening to you. And they'll say, but it's very hard to stay calm. And I say, but is it easier to freak out and model that for your children so then they freak out when they feel stress? And they'll say, it's so hard not to yell or snap or bark. And I said, is it, is it, what about mommy guilt? For me, that's harder. So when you look at the hard versus harder, it's a no-brainer. We have to stop giving our all our emotional responsibility to our children and saying, they are the reason why I'm yelling. They are the reason why I'm spanking. They are the reason why I'm swatting. Whatever it is that you're doing that you're feeling shame and guilt about, we can't keep blaming it on the child because the child is never going to change. They are just a reflection of our energy. And what we're telling our child is we are yelling at you because of something you did. You weren't listening. You didn't follow directions. Or we are spanking you because of something you did. You weren't listening or following directions. So remember what I said about 95% of all of our thinking is unconscious thinking, which means it's been placed there by someone else, another event, another experience, a parent, a coach, a teacher, our peer group. So if we keep telling our children that over and over and over, it's going to build on their unconscious mind. So fast forward 10, 20 years, they get in their young adult and adult relationships and they're with the spouse or significant other and that spouse or significant other hits or yells at our child who's now a grown up or in their teens. And then our child says, who's now a grown up, says, please stop doing that. And then the spouse or significant other says, I'm only doing that because you weren't listening. You weren't following directions. You didn't do what I said. And then the child who's now a grown up will say to themselves, huh, this doesn't feel right, but this is what happened when I was a child. So maybe this is the way it should be. And unconsciously, they will keep doing it and keep putting up with it and not putting boundaries around it. Versus if they've never experienced it and then they do experience it in their young adult and adult relationships, they will run for the hills and say, this is for the birds. No, thank you. 
So we're actually creating their future relationships now because they're going to grow up and recreate these relationships. The relationship they have with us now, they're going to grow up and recreate in their adult and young adult relationships. Isn't that powerful? I mean, if that's not a motivator to change, I don't know what is. But we can't keep focusing on our child and saying it's because of them that we're doing this. The reason why we're yelling has more to do within ourselves and the lack and the overwhelm and the stress that we feel within ourselves. But when we come from happiness and abundance and confidence and kindness, then we'll see that in our child. What I see parents coming from is floss, fear, lack, overwhelm, stress, sleeplessness. They're coming from that energy towards their child. They're feeling anxiety about all those things. And so they have a child here and they can yell, scream, spank at the child to kind of offset some of that floss, fear, lack, overwhelm, stress, sleeplessness onto their child. And so why this work is so hard is because I am taking that, that outlet away from them. You know, the saying about when you have a stressful day at work, you come home and kick the dog. Well, when we're yelling and screaming at our children, we're using our child as a dog to kick to kind of offset some of that stress, that floss, fear, lack, overwhelm, stress, and sleeplessness. And I'm here to say that's not fair to our kids. They just showed up. They don't need all this. They don't need all our baggage. So handling that separate from our children is where we get our power back. And so I always say to hack the floss, come from hack, which is happiness, abundance, confidence, and kindness. When you come from that energy and you're detached and you see your children as not belonging to you, then you're going to project that happiness, abundance, confidence, and kindness onto your child versus floss. So the work is really inner work of how we feel about ourselves projected onto our children. So the way you talk to your children is just a reflection of how you're talking to yourself which is really good news because once you clean up the way you talk to yourself, then you'll clean up the way you talk to your children. It'll feel effortless. And when I was at the Brooke event last week, it was so amazing because I got called on stage and I was talking to her about with a couple others about limiting beliefs and what we believe and why we believe it and who put it there. And it was really fascinating because as I was talking to her, I was like, wow, she's so normal. She's so like us because I kind of put her above me like, ooh, and I think we do that sometimes is we put something or something out outside of us, above us, outside of us, that the answers belong in her or belong in me or in this book or in this gadget or in this journal. And so we think that something outside of us has the answers when we have the answers within ourselves because we're taught as a child. Think about how we're taught as a child. When you're a child, you have a child parent relationship. Then you have a child teacher, then a child coach, then a child professor, And there's all this hierarchy and the child is always learning from external. Once we become an emotional adult, then we can kind of look within for our answers. One of my sisters was having issues with breastfeeding when her baby was born and she called my mom crying and my mom said the best advice ever. She said, you have all the answers with inside yourself. You know your child better than anyone. No one else does. And that kind of gave my sister the confidence within herself to be that kind of assertive parent. Like when I'm walking Maggie, if I don't know where I'm walking her to, she starts to get jumpy and iffy. But I'm like, Maggie, we're walking this way. We're going this direction. We're going to be gone for 15 minutes. We're going to the first lake. Then we're going to... And she likes that assertive energy. So when you come to your child-parent relationship now as an adult with that 
all of that abundance and all that confidence and all that kindness and all that happiness, then the child absorbs that from you and feels that assertive, confident energy and is able to trust you. And it's not from a bossy air tone. It's not from a bossy energy. It's from an assertive energy. Like, I got us. We are in this together, girl. We are in this together, boy. I got your back. You can trust me. And when they feel that, it's like game on like Donkey Kong. But when they don't feel that, that's when the strong-willed children get even stronger. And that's when the compliant children get even smaller. And you don't want either of that to happen. You want their throbbing spirit to be exactly how it's meant to be. It's so funny when people meet me, they'll say things that's like backhanded, compl- backhanded compliments. They'll say things like, I thought you'd be funnier in person. <laughs> One time someone said to me, wow, I thought you were ditzier than you are. You like know a lot about this stuff. <laughs> Talking about conscious parenting. And I was like, I don't really know how to take that. But like, I thought you were like a, um, a ditzy airhead. I didn't know you really knew all this stuff. <laughs> and I just laugh because I really, really, truly don't have an ego. And I see my ego flare up and I'm like, I see you ego. I see you amygdala. It's okay. It's okay. So I actually don't push down my ego. I just laugh at my ego. And I like when it comes up because then I can disempower it even more and just kind of laugh at it, but not tease it and not beat it up because then it gets even stronger. I'm just like, I see you ego. I know. I can see that. I know. It's okay. And one thing I loved was Anat said about this podcast. I found this podcast a few days ago when I was ready to give up. These have been very eye-opening and have changed my entire perspective on parenting. I can't wait to do your marriage and parenting boot camps. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your, for your heart and wanting to help others. And that is literally what I do all day and night as I think, how can I present this? How can I share this? How can I post that image? How can I wake someone up? How can I let them know that their children don't belong to them? How can I stop the yelling? How can I stop the spanking? I like journal about it and I read books about it. And how can I deliver this message in a way that comes across as imperfect parenting and B minus parenting and not as a know-it-all parenting? And how do I give them the reins and power to their own parenting journey versus them always looking to me? And a lot of times parents will email me and say, what do you do when, and they want to know the consequence and the punishment for a certain behavior. And what they're really saying is, how do I make this stop? How do I make this go away? I don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable. I'm actually scared. I'm scared because if they're lying now, what if they turn into one note rider? Or what if they're hitting their brother now that they're going to be, they're going to hurt their wife when they're older. So it's always coming from fear. And it's very difficult for me to answer an email. That's why I love working with people one-on-one because we can set up game plans and I can learn about your child. Because I always use the example of if Lily's sick and she keeps getting sick, and I just keep giving her Motrin and ibuprofen, that's treating one symptom of her illness. I'm not looking, is she getting enough sleep? Is she under stress? How's her connection with me? How's her connection with her friends? Is she washing her hands before she's eating? Is she having her vitamins? Is she eating vegetables and fruits and vegetables at every meal? So I'm looking at the whole child. Sometimes I don't even know the age of the child when I get the, I get so many emails. So I always write back, do you want to set up some time together that we can work on this? Because I have a lot of questions and a lot of ideas, but it's very difficult to handle it via email. And I heard a quote the other day that said from the book Indistractable, it said an average American child has 10 times more rules and expectations than an American adult and two times more rules and expectations than an incarcerated felon. I was like, what? 
And so when your children are acting out, they're pretty much saying like, I don't like all of this lack of control that I have over my own life. I'm told what to eat, where to go, what to, what to study, how much sleep to get, what I'm going to eat. If I don't eat it, then I'm disrespectful. When to brush my teeth. Like we literally tell them all day what to do. And this doesn't mean that, and I posted the quote and I got lots of emails from parents, very defensive because parents are very defensive. I know I'm a very defensive parent sometimes. And I always have to, that's just ego. And I always have to say, it's okay, ego, just take in the information. And so defensive energy, because they say, well, my child needs rules and they need, they need expectations or how are they going to function in life? And I am not saying throw the baby out the bathwater just to understand with empathy and compassion between home, school, society, sports, how many rules and regulations and expectations stand in line, be quiet, sit on your bottom, raise your hand, answer this math, make sure you know this, or if you don't know this answer, then there's something wrong. Like all day long, they heard this message over and over and over of they're not good enough if they don't comply, don't comply, don't comply, don't comply. So that's why I love doing love and logic with kids. And I love the book, how to get your kids to listen and how to listen. So your kids will talk. Those two books combined with conscious parenting are like the secret sauce to all of it. But if you're not detached and you still see your child's behavior as meaning something about you, none of these tips, strategies, tactics will work because you're still yelling and screaming and breaking and having all this disconnection. And sometimes I'll recommend the book, love and logic. I'll recommend the both books and they'll read them both and love and logic will just scream at them. I'm like, yes, this is the answer. And then I'll give the same two book recommendations to two other people, to one other person. I'll give the same two recommendations to another person and they'll say, oh my goodness, how to get your kids to listen and how to listen so your kids will talk totally made so much sense to me. I'm implementing and it's working. So just look at both of them and see what works for you and your child. And they have them for toddlers. They have them for school age children and they have them for teens. And believe me, I am doing this every single stinking honking day. I'm doing natural consequences. I'm doing love and logic. I'm doing holding the space. I'm staying calm when they're flipping out. I'm dealing with all of the same things you're dealing with. And a lot of parents say, well, how long does it take? How long does it take? And I always say it takes as long until you want to change your side of the street because my only barometer for measurement is my side of the street. I used to use my kids and that did not go very well. I was never winning. So I'm always controlling the controllable and controlling my side of the street. So when you, you're not looking at the kids as a barometer to see how it's going, you're only looking within yourself. And that takes a lot of your own power back. And so when you're doing love and logic, you're giving a lot of the kids power back to them because they get to choose their own ending. They know the path. They know what's going to happen if they choose choice A or choice B. I always say it's like reading those chapter books where they choose their own ending, where it's say, okay, you finish this. Now you can go to the forest, go to page 17, or you can go to the amusement park, page 42. And then they get to choose their own ending. It's the same thing. You're giving them their power and control back in their life within reason. So it's a win-win for you. Like when my kids have dinner, I don't care what vegetable they have, but they have to have a vegetable. So I'll say, do you want broccoli or cauliflower? Do you want green beans or peas? So I know that they're going to choose one of the two, but I don't care which one they choose. Same with fruits and vegetables. Do you want or fruits at lunch? Let's say, do you want strawberries or blueberries? Do you want blueberries or raspberries? Do you want a banana or do you want strawberries? So I'll give them two acceptable choices and they get power and control back in their life. So give them what they want. So in love and logic, 
I have a lot of parents that say, well, I wouldn't have to yell unless they, if they would listen, I say it nicely nine times. And then the 10th time, that's when I have to yell. And I beg parents to never repeat yourself because you're teaching the child, do not listen to mom until she says it nine times. And then they'll listen on the 10th. And the next time you'll say it 10 times. And then they'll listen on the 11th. And then they'll say to themselves, well, don't listen until mom starts yelling. So you're actually training them not to listen until you yell. And you have to get off that crazy cycle. So I always do choice, game, consequence. So I first I give them a choice. Then I might play a little fun little game and not like board game, get it out like a guessing game. And then there's the consequence. So let's say it's brushing your teeth. So the choice would be, do you want to brush your teeth at this time or this time? 7.15 or 7.19? Do you want to brush your teeth in this sink or that sink? Do you want to brush your teeth with this toothbrush or that toothbrush? Do you want to brush your teeth with this toothpaste or that toothpaste? Do you want to brush your teeth in my bathroom or your bathroom? I'm giving you a multitude of examples and you don't even have to choose any of those. You just give them the choice of brushing their teeth because let's say that's something that you push back on. Then when they listen, this is so important. You need to pull over on the side of the road and write this down. If you don't do this step, it will not work. You reinforce them when they listen. You catch them listening. Because if you always are telling your child, they never listen, they never listen, you don't ever listen, you never listen, they will not listen to you. But when you reinforce what good listeners they are, then they will see themselves as a good listener and then they will become a good listener. So I would say something like, that is awesome listening skills. You must be so proud of yourself. I say you must be so proud of yourself instead of I'm so proud of you. Because I want the internal voice to get stronger, not my voice. I don't want them to brush their teeth or be a good listener or do the right thing or not lie or whatever it is. I don't want them to do it because they're trying to impress mom and dad. I want them to do it because it makes themselves feel good because they're proud of themselves. I want to get that inner dialogue going ASAP. So I'm constantly harping on that must make you feel so good inside. That must make you feel so proud. You must feel so responsible. You must feel so awesome at time management now. So I'm always putting it back on them that the way it makes them feel. So then they're getting on the energy cycle within themselves and doing things because it feels awesome. And they're getting the emotional payoff, not the mom and dad payoff, because that's very externally focused. And I want to become more internally focused. So instead of saying, I'm so proud of you, flip it to, you must be so proud of you. And you'll hear them say, I'm so proud of myself over and over and over. So let's say the choice doesn't work. It's like, nope, doing Legos. So that's the choice. Then I, and this all happens very fluidly. This doesn't take a lot of time. This doesn't take a lot of, so they're just kind of like, first you say, brush your teeth, not really working. Okay. Do you want to brush your teeth in this sink or that sink? Let's say, and then it becomes the game and the games really work for younger kids. And they also work for older kids, but they're not so much gamey. You don't say, let's play a game. It's more like, let's figure out a win-win. So I would say game, win-win consequence. For the older kids, it's win-win. For the younger kids, it's game. So like when Grady was little, he's still, he's eight. He still will fall for this. Probably not fall for this, but he would still like be game for this. No pun intended. I would say, I think I have magic powers, Grady. Because you have to remember, they are very, 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 their brains are very undeveloped. So the more you can be childlike, the better. Not childish, but be more childlike. Think like them. Be like them. 
become a kid again. You used to be that child. What did you like when you were that age? They're very airy fairy living in unicorn land. So go join them in the unicorn land instead of always asking them to join us in adult land, which is kind of lame and boring. Their land is much more fun. So I get silly, get, get zany, get out of your comfort zone, get sing-songy. Sometimes now Grady's like, your voice is so sing-songy. I'm like, I know you're old. You're going up. I'm having a hard time. You're in third grade now. I know I'm used to the first grade voice, which he used to love by the way. And so I would say, I'm going to close my eyes. I think I'm magical, but I'm not sure if I am. So I'm going to close my eyes. Abracadabra, Walgazam. When I open my eyes, I think I'm going to be able to guess which sink you're at. So let me see if it works. And I'd like use my finger as a pretend one. Abracadabra, Walgazam. When I open my eyes, I'll see if I'm magical. I am. One, two, three, poof. And then I open my eyes and there he is. And I'm like, yes, I was right. I do have magic powers. Thanks for helping me, Grady. And then let's say the magic doesn't work. He's like, no, peace out. Then the consequence, I love uh uh-oh techniques from Love and Logic. I used it literally until like seven or eight years old. And Grady even talked about it in his his episode. The uh uh-oh technique is, I would say, "Uh uh-oh, Grady's not listening. He needs to brush his teeth on the count of three or... And then I was like, what's the or? What's the or? Do you put him in timeout? Do you yell and spank then? No, that's never an option. It's never a consequence. The consequence is always a natural consequence. It always the, I would say the punishment fits the crime, but it's not a punishment. The consequence is just, or mommy's going to choose the sink or mommy, he loses his choice or mommy's going to have to help you. And I know you don't like me brushing in the way, way back, or mommy's going to choose the toothpaste or mommy's going to set the timer. I know you like to set the timer or so he loses some of that sense of power and control, but you've already done choice game consequence. So the chances of it getting to that are very unlikely. And if they do, that's okay too, because your tone is always very neutral. It's very assertive. There's no repeating. And it's like, this is the way it is. Come join me. It's not that bad. And you have to also remember like the things we're asking them to do are things we don't want to want to do most of the times. Like usually I'm tired and don't want to brush my teeth before I go to bed. Or usually I'm tired and don't want to empty the dishwasher. Or usually I'm feeling lazy and don't want to take the clothes out of the dishwasher. (laughs) Clothes out of the dishwasher. I don't want to take the clothes out of the dryer. So we have to kind of like normalize that they don't want to do some of the things because we're an adult and there's lots of things, the tasks and the chores we don't want to do. Most days I don't want to do tasks and chores. I override my brain and I see my amygdala doing what it's doing and I have to override it. They don't have that ability yet and they shouldn't have to have that ability. One thing that I really want to harp on with parents and I try to teach over and over and over is when you are leaving your child, whether it's in the morning for school or it's bedtime, and there's a lot of stress and anxiety and yelling and screaming, that is very hard for the child to settle down and calm down and be at school. When there's lots of yelling, hurry, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go, get out the door, get out the door. Like that's very hard for the child to come to school and then just sit in a desk and sit at a chair and just be like, okay, now I'm going to be engaged in my reading. I'm going to be engaged in my story. I'm going to be engaged in my writing. It's very difficult. So I encourage parents to have the mornings where they're sending them off with peace in the Middle East, not a lot of yelling and screaming, because I saw the children on the other end of that in my classroom. It took them an hour to almost two hours to calm down from a stressful morning. And I'm not saying they came in crying their eyes out, but I could just see the stress on their face. And kids that are under enough stress all day long at school or wherever they're going, that they don't need that stress at home. It's like they're all they're going to know is stress wherever they go. So I want the home to be a place of harmony and and peace 
and comfort and relaxation. And so it's almost like a tranquil place for them to look forward to coming home versus like all the stress at home just to be piled on more at school. That's not fun for the kids. So bedtime is a really big thing where I see parents are at their end. They're, they're the H and hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And the kids are probably tired and they're also feeling lonely. They're going to like, I have to leave my mom and dad. So just know that every time they come out or every time they ask for a glass of water, when they've already had 17 glasses of water, it's just a bid for connection. It's just them way, their way of saying, I need more connection. I mean, I need more time. So one thing that worked, and so you can have empathy and you can have compassion for what's happening versus them being strong-willed and annoying and get in your bed and, and go to sleep and leave me alone. Like that energy is very difficult for kids just to go off to sleep and, and Maryland and just be so relaxed and fall asleep. So one thing that worked for bedtime was when Grady would come out, I'd say, oh no, your stuffed animals are so scared. You're allowed one walk out for hugs and snug snuggles. And then after that, your stuffed animals get so scared. So I have to have them come out here and sit with me for four minutes because they have to trust you that you're going to stay in bed with them because they're very scared when you come out here. And I wouldn't take them away for the whole night. I'm not yelling and screaming. I'm not angry at him. I'm just letting him know like your stuffed animals are very scared. Kids still believe, the young little kids still believe when he was four or five, still believed that the stuffed animals were alive and they gave them comfort. And so we kind of like would relate with the stuffed animals like, oh yeah, I know how it feels to be left alone. That's what my parents are trying to do right now. Oh wait, I can lean on you. And so it's just a fun, cute way. They, they're allowed one walk out. And then after that, the consequence. So the choice is, do you want to have um, one walkouts or no walkouts? They always chose one. Then the game would be the stuffed animals. And then the consequence is that the stuffed animal has to sit with me for a couple minutes. And I would only have the number of minutes for how old they were, are. And then I would say, once I know that you're going to stay in there, then I'll bring the stuffed animal back in. So I have to be able to know that and trust. And the stuffed animal has to be able to know and trust. And then let's say they do it again. Then next time it's two stuffed animals for four minutes. And you're not going to get much further. You might go three, you might go four. But just know that it gets easier every single night because then it, next time will be, let's say you get up to three stuffed animals. Then it'll be two stuffed animals. Then the next day will be one until it's not even an issue anymore. So I'm going to give you lots more examples like this in the next episode. I want to kind of lay the the groundwork about being detached, having neutral energy, having your assertive energy back, and never, ever repeating yourself. So find me on the gram. Tell me which book you like better or which book you're going to read first. And tell me what's working for you so I can share it with the other moms and the other dads and the other grandparents and all the other caregivers that are listening my, I'm on Instagram as Kelly Hutchison or on Facebook as Kelly Stout Hutchison. I love you all and I will see you next week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was. What was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening? I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.